WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the new image series Black Cloak, Marvel's Captain Marvel, and the Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic It's Jeff, Kelly Thompson. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, as, as we actually just established uh, off mic, uh, you are our first guest of 2023. H- how was your New Year's? Um, it was all right. I got uh, I agreed to to go to karaoke, which I'm not a fan of, okay. but which a bunch of my friends were doing and my partner loves. And uh, he does a lot for me, including spends nearly every Christmas with my family. So uh, I figured he deserved it. So mm-hmm. I uh, I uh, <laughs> I focused up and I went and uh, <laughs> listen, it was fine. It was uh I, I had a great time. I got to spend New Year's with incredible people. I had at least two very good drinks and some munchable bar food, but I don't get karaoke. I just don't get it. Uh, I also took a weed edible, which maybe made things worse. I was trying to like make it better and like, you know, be a little looser for it. But, you know, sometimes edibles, I don't know if you guys have any experience with this, but, you know, time can lengthen. Also, you can get sort of like meta. So, like I was, you know, trying to like be in the moment of my friends, like really having this great experience. But I'm just looking at the lyrics to this song going, these lyrics are so goddamn dumb. Why are they so dumb? So uh, it was a it was a mixed beast in a lot of ways. It was sort of a weird existential New Year's Eve. I had also gotten some like not bad news but like upsetting news that like makes you feel bad Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. before we went out the door so you know amazing setup right (laughs) it was almost like a movie where it was like hey we're actually about to do something and then what no that sucks so it was a weird night but i was i was really grateful especially after a hard year to like see my friends which you know, I don't do enough of. I don't do enough of any of that, to be honest. Um, I think, especially for the last three years, a lot of us probably fall in that category, but I'm particularly bad at it. So I'm going to work on that this year, karaoke or not. <laughs> <laughs> did, did did you pick a song? I didn't sing. No, I, okay. I, sang, a, I sang a lot. We were in a private room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I know, I guess, uh, as I understand it, sometimes singing along is not encouraged, but in the private rooms, I guess it's more you know, you and your friends, whatever. So I, I sang along when I was into it and knew the songs. I was a good time. I was a good time, but I did not end up singing. No. <laughs> Listen, moral support. People need, <laughs> people need that in the karaoke booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, do you have a, a new year's resolution? Or are you, a, are you a resolution type maker? I'm not a resolution type maker. I um. I'm not a big proclamations person just because I feel absolutely wretched when I let people or myself down. And so I try not to make proclamations unless I'm like really sure I can deliver. And uh, that's not really the vibe of, uh, of new year's resolutions, (laughs) like to take it that seriously. That's not really how it goes. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of little, failures uh this year I, I had a lot of great successes too but I, I like particularly the the news that I got going out the door you know I really felt like I really failed a person 
uh, one person in particular, I'm sure I failed more than that, but you know, it's hard. It's hard when you, I don't really know if I could have fixed it. Like if I had gone back and made different choices, I certainly could have communicated with them better. I mean, I think that's the lesson there for me on that one, but uh, you know, so yeah, I, I don't really, I try not to go there unless I think I can really back it up. But, and I, I guess maybe because I knew that I'd messed up a little bit this year, I felt even less like, you know, going, I'm going to not do this anymore. It's just who, who knows, you know, what about you guys? Do you do, do you do the resolutions thing? Matt is, Matt is shaking his head. No. I see a very <laughs> resolute no, head shake. For a, a similar reason. It, if I'm going to make a decision to change something in my life, it's not going to be because it's yeah. this particular date. It's because yeah. I want to do it. I mean, there's, there's just so much pressure on it too. Like for a non thing, you know, it's not mm -hmm. real. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a better overall effort to person better. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there was, there was a feeling going into the end of the year. I'm like, mm, I gotta do something better. I don't know what yeah. that is. I don't know what I'm gonna do about it. And 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 probably none of that is helpful. But you know, I, I think there are definitely areas of my, areas of my life where uh, I need to uh, put a little more focus. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I think. Listen, I mean, I think the end of the year is helpful in that regard, if nothing else. Like, you know, you can be or not be someone who wants to say you made resolutions. Like, you can play in that with that stuff or not. But at the end of the day, the self-reflection isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, well, it can be because you can feel terrible about it if you've had a hard time or made bad choices, but it's good for you. It's healthy for you to self-reflect, to be self-aware, to look at, you know, maybe I can be kinder or have more patience or, you know, any number of things. We all need that, right? <laughs> to like Absolutely. try to work on ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I've started, I've decided as of yesterday to sort of get back to for about a year i was walking five miles a day wow and then it became this summer and it was hotter than death <laughs> so i brought it down to three miles a day and then fall came around and i was getting better and then i had covid oh. and then oh two weeks later i got the flu so i went yeah. from wow. three miles a day down to like Next None miles. <laughs> None miles. Yeah, and the past couple of days have been, well, global warming's a bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been ungodly or strangely warm here in New Jersey. Yeah. So you know, yesterday I was at four, and today I'm back up to five, and I'm gonna <laughs> keep going until it's too icy for me to walk five miles again. But that just has to do with being able to, and not so much the new year. Yeah. But I sort of like the idea of a walking schedule that's entirely based on weather, like perfect weather day, you do five. And then depending on what that weather is, you just know, nope, it's going to be two or, you know, whatever it's going to be. But uh, yeah, Matt, this this weather lately. So uh, Kelly, in our, our neck of the woods, Matt and I live on either side of New Jersey, but uh, mm. Christmas Eve was, I think the high reached 11 degrees. Wow. And today it was 60 degrees and I had my daughter outside riding without training wheels, uh, her bike for the first time. So <laughs> yeah, weather, weather be crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely broke some shit. It's uh, not cool. <laughs> uh, but but listen, it is a new year and and you've got some stuff uh, to look forward to very quickly. So let's let's start off yeah. talking about Black Cloak, which is uh, your new uh, image by way of Substack series with artist Meredith McLaren and letterer Becca Carey. Uh, issue number one is out in print. January 11th, uh, according to the old solicit blurberino, and Matt, I'll let you take that one. Blade Runner style mixes with saga-esque drama in the delectable fantasy sci-fi blend as two black cloaks try to solve the murder of a, a beloved prince of Kiros, the last city in the known world, before his murder tips the city into war. Now, when you Google black cloak currently, the first thing that comes up <laughs> is a 59-inch hooded cloak for adults on Amazon. <laughs> and I wondered, you know, what, what the plan was for taking on Jeff Bezos in the SEO wars. <laughs> but then I did a Google News search, and while Black Cloak the comic was the first hit, the second hit was a story about Lionel Messi being draped in a Black Cloak as he received the World Cup trophy last <laughs> month in Cotter. And I have to say, that is a wonderful bit of viral marketing you have pulled I... off, and I applaud you for it. <laughs> purely accidental i saw that myself i was like what is this black cloak trending why is this trending i was like i know that isn't us and i was like well i don't hate it i was like that's fun so yeah <laughs> uh we did actually we did actually get our trademark stuff all set up i was very responsible about that so um jeff bezos can come try to get me i guess and you know he'll succeed because he has all the money but uh you know i did do my due diligence <laughs> It does have those Amazon drones, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's nowhere um, to hide. <laughs> what, what, uh, overall, what is the origin of this project? You know, how long ago uh, had you conceived it and all that? Gosh, probably, um, maybe not 10 years, but close to that, that I first came up with this idea. It wasn't called Black Cloak back then, and it looked very different. Um, I, at one time, at one point, it was called The Red. And then when I knew we were heading for this in 2022, I saw that um, J.H. Williams had his new book, which was like a red thing. And I was like, I think we got to move away from that because that's also, I mean, they're not wearing cloaks, but they're wearing red, you know, whatever red riding hood in every version we ever see wears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's got that red hooded cape thing maybe it's a cloak I don't know so yeah we so we pushed pushed away from the red and it was a real struggle to come up with black cloak which is funny because I I get very nervous about projects when it doesn't feel like it has the right title mm -hmm. and once I hit on black cloaks I started feel black cloak I started feeling better but I wasn't sure and I love it so much now it feels so right for the book we ended up with that I'm gonna try to keep that in mind next time I get freaked out that sometimes it just takes a little more time but you still land where you need to be um yeah this is uh this is exciting this is um I you know it's it became a very different project I mean I feel a lot different I I'm always gonna love detective stories and PI stories and mm -hmm police procedure police procedurals i love that stuff but you know my relationship to how i feel about police has changed a lot in the last five years sure. and there was a version of this story years ago you know close to a decade ago where i feel like it was much more 
police forward like it was it was less about the murder mystery and it was more about the origin of the black cloaks and how that came to be a thing in that world because it's Mm. a little bit of a misfit you know we don't we don't see detective procedurals a lot in sort of fantasy uh sci-fi scenarios although more in sci-fi i'd say you know certainly blade runner the expanse Mm -hmm. is an amazing tv show that has a that has a detective element that i love things like that so um i i think that it became a lot less about let's really make this about cops and instead it became about a murder story and about two very specific detectives one who had a very complicated relationship with sort of all the world building and the class war stuff that's going on in that world mm-hmm. um and so yeah this is where we landed and of course meredith coming on you know that that naturally just immediately changes the project not in a necessarily a good or a bad way, but you know, you just shift, like she's designing things and it's inspiring me to other things. And, you know, so the, the path begins to change as soon as you bring on an artist and you guys really start doing it together. So, I mean, I think the inclusion of Meredith is the biggest by far uh, change in what it was eight years ago versus what it's become now uh, with the police being sort of the secondary thing. <laughs> uh, how, how did you end up uh, landing on on Meredith as as your creative partner in this project. I know you, I know you two had worked uh, together before, uh, you know, a few years ago. Yeah. So there's a. I think Meredith is really underrated sort of genius. I think um, her work sometimes becomes hmm, maybe abstract is the word. A little abstract for modern audiences. Like it can sometimes feel a little. Um, you know, it's not like uh, punch em up superhero art. It's very clean and sharp and highly stylized. She's a mm-hmm. genius with color. Um, I came, she and I came to work together through Sophie Campbell a million years ago. Not a million, but like <laughs> 10 something. We did Heart in a Box together with Dark mm-hmm. Horse. And I loved working with her. She also did some gem with me later. Um, I just think... I just think she's a really incredible storyteller and a really incredible designer. She also happens to be very fast and incredibly reliable, which are not bad things either, especially when you're in charge of the project and you know you're going to have to put pages on the internet and then also get them ready for image. So Mm -hmm. I knew she was a really great team player in that regard. But I think the number one thing that excited me about it is I don't feel like, maybe for sci-fi stuff more so, but like her style feels very um not what you expect when you hear the word fantasy and i like that i like that someone hears fantasy and they think like really detailed i don't know like chain mail and you know whatever and that's just not what she's doing she's doing something much more modern i think and which was what i wanted i wanted us to like mix up these sci-fi and fantasy elements and create this whole new world and i, I think she was a great pick for that like she always exceeds my expectations that that's fantastic you know uh we were we were joking around about marketing before but really because this you know was first on Substack and now it's being printed through image you know you you really do kind of have to market it twice yes yeah yeah a little bit a little (laughs) bit for sure like you know you're kind of constantly marketing it through the Substack, and then once the print stuff is ramping up like you have a whole new much larger audience that you're trying to get the attention of which is tricky, especially because this is my first time doing an image book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my editor was going to be helping me with a lot of that stuff that I'd never done before. And that ended up not working out. So it was pretty bad for my schedule, but I did learn. <laughs> I learned so much. And I mean, it's a lot. That's a, even with image, really, they've got an incredible staff there that helps you through every step of it. But if you've never done it before, and also you're not an artist, mm -hmm. like, you know, and you're not completely in control of the files and everything, man, that's a lot. It's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of, you know, you get, how about you get all the pages, all, you get everything submitted and then you and your designer notice there's an extra space between, you know, a one thing and you're like, okay, well, do we reload 60 pages for this one little thing or do we let it go? Like, you know, it's just a lot of that stupid choices, but you want it to be perfect. So, mm -hmm. you know, you put it in. <laughs> Were there, were there other creators that you were able to sort of lean on for advice while you were uh, going through a lot of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matt Rosenberg was probably my number one helper there. Uh, you know, he's, he's done, <laughs> he's done so much stuff with image and like, he's mm -hmm. done some of the hardest stuff with image. I mean, what's the furthest place from here, that series he's got now that number one had records and everything. I mean, just yep. crazy. Like, and I went to him and, you know, we're friends. We talk all the time, but I was like, listen, I need your help. Cause I need to know what I need to do to my sales, my pre-order numbers to not just be abysmal. I was like, but there's no way I can do the kind of stuff you're doing. Like you're going on road trip signings, you're calling bands to make record. Like, so what's the absolute low level of what you do? And he was like, all right, here's what you do. So he sort of walked me through it. He was, he was super helpful, but that guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he does so much work i wish people understood how hard he works i mean above and beyond all the writing it's wild what he does well he's a record he's literally a record producer now so. I mean, yes yes <laughs> and and listen in fairness to the rest of us he comes from that so like you know mm -hmm. he knew how to do a lot of that stuff but i don't think it became that much easier uh just through the hoops he had to jump through and of course he got completely pinned by covid and all the supply issues and the paper shortage and you know all that stuff what a what a crazy thing i mean it's honestly when i know what i went through just to get black cloak through mm -hmm. knowing what he <laughs> i don't know i don't know how he's still standing about the challenges he got through for that book which is an incredible book but 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 at least you can be like well at least all i have to do is put out a comic yeah yeah no i mean i'm sure he'll be like yeah and these were my numbers and those are yours and i'll be like go away <laughs> like i don't want to hear from you anymore <laughs> we're done here anyway yeah. i'll be on your podcast again next yeah. week <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> to promote this book that i can't sell because i didn't follow any of your advice no uh i followed all the advice i could and he was very he was very kind about how he gave it out because he knows me. He's like, I know you. I know what you won't do. I was like, yeah, pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of leading into the story here and 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 it's it's DNA, uh, you know, not to say that there's a direct link or anything here. But, you know, what what are some of your your fantasy touchstones and some of your police police procedural touchstones? Well, so I think. For fantasy, I mean, you know, it's really unfortunate that we have to keep saying saga because it really sucks to have to compare yourself to one of the best, most famous, most popular comics of all time because 
you're not going to be Saga. I've got news for you. Um, but it was just the thing that made the most sense. It was like about people. It was about families that had these fantasy creatures. Ours is much more contained than Saga, which, you know, feels just huge because they're always moving through space and we're sort of trapped in one city, at least for this first arc. But I do think, I do think Saga is a great comparison even if you're just talking about from the stuff that I like, because I do think it's a weird take on a mix of fantasy and sci-fi, more sci-fi than fantasy in that case. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of the stuff that we might quantify as fantasy, the way we think of it, you can just explain as, well, they're just aliens on other planets, right? So I, I'm sure he would, I, I, su- I suspect they would say they're mostly sci-fi. But I do think it's an interesting new take on sci-fi that you know we sort of are fans of i also think um arcane is you know that the animation beautiful animation that was based off the uh league of legends games which i don't even play but i really recommend arcane to everyone it's incredibly great storytelling the animation is phenomenal that reminds me a lot of what we're doing here um both the visuals and you know the sort of approach to those visuals and the sort of world building and stuff and the way we're trying to talk about class and you know unrest within cities you know um i think when you're talking more like police procedurals and stuff i mean if you want to talk about comics i mean i love everything from like the very grounded like stump town mm-hmm. stuff you know to you know chip's got his new new burn book with image mm-hmm. that's so good those done in one crime pi stuff is so great so yeah i mean you know we use blade runner i think because it's got we've got that neo-noir thing that they do so well there visually there's some touchstones there but i think also you know that's detectives that aren't called detectives right they're called blade runners we've got black cloaks so you know those kind of things are the sort of things we're trying to do that we like and that we want to do our own spins on things you know yeah and i think we touched on this a little bit earlier kind of talking about how you know relationships with policing have changed over the last years but you know it's worth asking explicitly does a cab extend to black cloaks i mean i think for the people of kiros probably i mean because there's definitely a there's definitely a thread that runs throughout the series that's people they don't trust the cops they don't trust them less because what we've seen in our world where there's so much corruption that it's systemic and you feel like you can't root it out at this point theirs is more this is a new system they don't understand you know they're fantasy creatures they're not used to all living together in the same place and not getting along and killing each other and then being tried for crimes like what is that they're like no we want to do a blood vengeance spell and you know his whole family should die after his dick falls off or whatever you know like so there's just a they don't they don't get it yet this idea of law and order and they're very skeptical of it um Mm -hmm. And they find the black cloaks who deal with murder particularly, you know, confusing to them and upsetting to them. And like, almost like the black cloaks have built up their own sort of mythology. Like they've almost created the black cloaks into a creature and how they're afraid they are of them. But I think anyone who's reading can see that 
whatever else the system is, Essex and Pax per, in particular are very good citizens trying to do good things. And I think that's all we can show, right? I mean, I, we can't convince those characters to just embrace cops, nor maybe should they? Like, we don't mm -hmm. know enough yet. They don't know enough yet. But, you know, it's so it's, you know, I, yeah, it's about building, it's about trying to do a very hard job in a world that sort of doesn't even understand your job yet. And your job is very important, especially right now. I mean, that by the end of issue six, we'll be at a real point for the city and at the end of that story like things will be very different in Kiros mm -hmm. sort of as the result of all of this this case the black cloaks all of it and I think that's really fun I hope people like it enough that we get to explore what comes after that I mean I I've never done the image thing before so you know we have to see how well we do and how much money there is to invest in more of it but I'm pretty excited overall that's excellent and and yeah you know it's like it's like anything now you got to take it one arc at a time <laughs> yeah i mean i wish it was you know if we if if the foc numbers came in and we'd sold like a hundred thousand i'd be like great we're doing 50 you know but that's not reality for most people maybe unless you sell a bunch of records with your issue one <laughs> um so yeah yeah but we'll play it by ear i think meredith and i would like to make as much as we can um she's had a really great year with some announcements for some stuff that she's writing and some stuff that she's writing and drawing so schedule's always an issue but she's mm -hmm. pretty committed to this and uh she's been incredible so i i hope she's gonna want to keep doing some more and that we'll find a way to do that we have a lot of stories still to tell so excellent so uh this comic includes a uh I'm going to say cat-like creature called a Taka that Meredith can't help but make the most adorable thing in the comic uh, in the first issue. Uh, you know, is, is this kind of, you know, this, this black cloaks answer to say, you know, Jeff, if, or if we're talking about saga, you know, uh, goose. Yeah. Or a lion cat or Grogu or pan from, I love a creature. I love a creature even better if the creature can be like bonded to you. So like, it's even more than a human pet relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously have seen the success of Jeff and you know, I love to duplicate that. I mean, the book is not about Takas, of course, but I think I'm actually really glad you asked about them. You're the first person who's asked and they will be playing for anyone who listens to this podcast a much larger role than anyone expects they were seated from issue one and the opening pages for a very good reason that will all pay off um but yes i love a creature in fact i was talking with my partner about i don't know what's wrong with me i'm not saying i don't connect to human characters but I was so in love with Andor. It's one of the best television shows I've ever watched. Mm -hmm. I was blown away because honestly, except for fun Grogu type stuff, I honestly thought I was sort of done with Star Wars. Not that I have any problems with it. It just didn't feel for me anymore. I just didn't know that there were any stories left in there that just were right where I was at right now. And then Andor came through and blew 
just blew me away. I, I was, I was, I, <laughs> I'm still sort of flabbergasted that it happened because I just did not expect it. What it's about and how it's done is so incredibly complex and beautiful and important, honestly. And uh, I don't remember my point of talking about Andor. Creatures. Uh, what's that? Creatures. We're, we're oh, yes, yes, yes. So I told my partner, I was like, listen, I'm worried about everybody on Andor. But really, I don't give a shit about any of them. If some, if that robot, if if that robot gets left behind or harmed in any way, it's going to break me. And I'm not kidding. I, I I really do have a thing where, you know, and I think we all probably have that to a certain degree with animals, especially people who have animals, like it's very hard, but there's something about humans are incredible, but they're also absolute assholes and they're aware of what they're doing, but animals and creatures and takas and robots, they're not playing by our rules. They're just innocent. They're just doing what they're told or being alive or whatever and to see them be hurt or betrayed I, I just i can't take it man so yeah uh it's a very powerful thing to me and hopefully the ending of black cloak is powerful that i'm able to harness that in the right way and really land it for people um but yeah i think about that a lot that <laughs> and that uh creatures are the best but I, but I honestly, I, I don't know that they work as well without the human component, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Jeff works in its simplicity because it's a very simple format, right? He doesn't, there's no word, there are no words. There's a limit to how complex you can make the storytelling be, despite the fact that Guri Hero are geniuses who can try anything. Um, and, but without that human component i think they become a lot less interesting it's always why you know people are like do a pet avengers do a pet avengers and it's like i could see that that could be fun for a minute you know for a one shot for a jeff short you know we we actually did one it's coming up that that guest stars a bunch of pets but for long term i don't know that that interests me mm -hmm. because where's the con where's the contrast there i don't know i guess you explore just very different things but i will say that it's those elements that i'm always drawn to like the sort of human element plus this pet quote unquote right because there's often more agency than that but that dynamic is very interesting to me um yeah and uh, yeah, it would be great if Meredith and I could make Jeff type money with Ataka. That would be cool. Let's do that. <laughs> that that's I, I tell you what that that's your you know albums with the comic. It's it's you know yeah. some sort of Taka yeah. Etsy you, deal. Yeah, put those plushes on your con table and watch <laughs> them go. <laughs> Well, we were talking about, and um, we're trying to just make sure we finish Black Cloak, the first six issues, the right way, and I get out from the printing stuff, which has been really mm -hmm. overwhelming. But um, we have been talking about maybe there's an element for a side project that's like a Taka thing that's more Jeff-type based, right? And so you could package it with the comics, but it would be sort of like a separate little fun thing at the end sort of like having funnies in a comic or something so maybe we'll do something like that um 
she's certainly into it i wasn't sure if she'd be up for it and then she sent in i don't know if you guys saw it but she sent in a founders only cover that we did for people who are on the Substack, and it's just all these takas and man it is masterfully cute so i don't know we're probably gonna have to do something there (laughs) also it's just fun to have invented something that people want to like talk about or think is cute you know it's fun it's fun i mean it's fun with jeff and this would be fun too you know Mm -hmm. I've got to say, while he's not a, a creature in the same way, I, I want more of the shirtless goat man in the pince nez. I just <laughs> something about that design just appeals to me. He's such a jerk, though. But okay, we'll see well, what I, we can do. Because we haven't seen, I haven't seen enough of him in the first issue to determine that he's much of a jerk. But there's always that. Wait, jerk in wait, wait, wait. Which the goat from the opening? Who she has to save the no guy, no uh, the guy oh. the guy with the little pince nez oh like, and... officer raff officer yes. raff yes squad yeah. room yeah so, yeah he's I, great I, I love that he's this big giant shirtless yeah. goat man with a yeah. little pince nez it's adorable yeah. yeah yeah he's he's great we love officer raff he will definitely show up in uh later volumes if we get to keep going <laughs> i just i just love a pince nez on a fantasy creature it's it's that's all Meredith, man. <laughs> it's funny because, uh, you know, we're talking about the Takas and that exchange about the Takas jumped out at me because we're dealing with a fantasy world that's a world that has, even beyond its war, sort of, to borrow a phrase from Stephen King's Dark Tower, moved on. That there are these <clears throat> creatures that, even now are, you know, things of the mythic past, even if it's Mm -hmm. a recent mythic past. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you have a deep world built here. Do you have a big old story Bible with history of the world and the, the, the Royal family and the characters, or is it, you know, a little bit of, you have your, your basics and you're flushing it out as you go. So a little bit and a little bit not because what happened was I started with a lot of that stuff I was doing a ton of that and I do think that it's helped us now but most of that stuff that I did was before I started reworking the project and we were moving so fast with the subsex stuff it was like we were shot out of a cannon so I desired to go back and like retool everything and rethink everything and make a nice pretty world building thing but we were always sort of running you know with just like everything nipping at our heels especially because meredith is very fast which is a brilliant brilliant thing but when you're a writer like you got to stay ahead of her and that's a great thing but you're on a time clock so you better use your time wisely and i didn't always i was late for her almost every time i think it's very embarrassing um in fairness to me i had a lot going on but still it's not really an excuse a good excuse um the uh so there is a sort of old Bible of sorts that's in a Molsky notebook and you'd recognize a lot from it, but a lot you wouldn't at all. And some of that is because I retooled it and began rethinking it, especially when Meredith came on and she started sending in designs and we started, you know, I started seeing it could be even more than what I was thinking it would be. Also, back when I did the Bible, it was much more just a straight fantasy instead of like, it it still had the detective element that was always a detective element in a fantasy world, but it didn't have the sort of future-y sci-fi bent that we really leaned into. 
none of that. It didn't have that style. And that really informed a lot of choices. And I also decided that, you know, I think people feel very precious about world building as readers. Like, you know, you really have a way you like it or a way you don't, although maybe you get tired of certain ways and and a change is fun. But I'm not big on exposition. I'm not big on prologue. I'm not big on explaining things. And because even though Essex is sort of the lead, it's it's a little gray area there. And I really don't like caption boxes like inside the character's head if there are multiple sort of main characters. So I knew that a lot of the heavy lifting world building wise would be on Meredith, but I wanted to design it so that we could just drop people in. And then you just sort of, you're learning as you go, like as we're, we're just feeding you the information as you need it. And we're never sort of overwhelming you. And so when we started leaning into that approach, which I prefer if I can pull off, I ended up looking back at all the world building stuff that I had thought I might post on Substack because, oh, people might like this. So like as Phaedra's parents are and then you go up the family tree three levels and you like I have those things written in books but it just didn't seem like the project anymore it just seemed really overwhelming and I think part of that was informed by I don't know if you guys are following any of the three worlds three moons stuff but like with Jonathan Hickman and he's got some other people involved as well as Mike Delmundo you know who's a genius uh, they were doing a very detailed world building experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at that and I thought, I can't really do what they're doing. And maybe I should not be doing that. Like I should be going the other way. Like I have sort of different strengths and a smaller team and a different approach. So why try to like ape what other people are doing and not do it as well? Like, let's just be our own, you know? So we just went with our more streamlined style it sometimes makes me uncomfortable because i want to know all the answers uh it, it makes me nervous um i want to just immediately know any question a fan is going to ask me instead of like ah we never thought about that but <laughs> but i also have to say that i think i'm happier with the story for having not done some of that stuff because we took some twists and turn I didn't expect. And I think if I'd been super locked down into exactly how it was going to roll out, I don't think I would have been open to that. Like there's a lot of stuff with the mermaids that once we were getting into it, like there wasn't that much plan for them to get to be in it more, but they were really interesting to me. And the, and the way we built them in the world was pretty cool. And it seemed like a waste to not explore that a little more. And so, you know, for, if we if I had just stuck to my original outline that was super tight, like we wouldn't have done that. And I think that would have been a mistake. So, you know, I'm trying to I don't think you should go into things without outlining. I've had terrible experiences that way, but I am sort of feeling like I'm loosening my grip on that a little bit. Because if if you have confidence in your ability to write yourself out of these problems, which you should, then there are some really beautiful things you can find you know, if you don't make yourself stay on the path, you know? And I assume that our, one of our protagonists uh, isn't just named Phaedra because it sounds neat. (laughs) That name has connotations, especially with her coming from a noble background and when looked at from a more modern and feminist take on Greek myth. (laughs) 
so this is a bit of a this is a bit tricky for me because I really like to do that stuff but I don't like have names that mean I like name meanings I play with it and I I don't hide it either I point to it when I'm doing it like my novel the girl who would be king she literally talks to her therapist about her name like there's a whole discussion about names and etymology and stuff so uh so this is a bit of a trick I mean I wanted something that you know because Phaedra felt uh it feels weird and it feels a little bit elevated probably because it's greek and because it does have those origins so we we attach those associations to it but i didn't necessarily want it to tie to the mythology and the other big reason to choose it was because the names are just a little weird and that's because i don't like struggling over overly complicated names so i'm like let's make it a really easy to say name or a name that's well known and we just change the spelling a little bit or we just you know zhuzh it up we add a little thing or we take away a little thing i just want it to i want it to feel lived in and correct but i also don't want it to be a struggle like why should it be so hard i actually felt a little bad because someone asked me right out of the gate in a very super nice way on the Substack about how to pronounce Phaedra's name. And I was like, fuck, I tried to do it the right way. And I feel bad because now people are still struggling with it, but you know, you can't, can't all account for every instance of that. But so, yeah, so it's not, it shouldn't be taken too seriously in the name, but yeah, it's, so it's a, a little bit of a couple things sort of coming together. Uh, overall, what's something you've gotten to do story-wise in this comic, uh, non-spoilery, of course, that you haven't in other work? Well, I hate to say it, but the number one thing I've gotten to do is let some girls kiss. Um, you know, it's I, like there's no way to there's no way to put a, 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 there's no way to hide it. Like. Mm-hmm it's a thing (laughs) and i listen i get it you know the companies i work for and have worked for um those you can't just let freelancers come in and do whatever they want those are million dollars sometimes billion dollar properties at this point they're heavily regulated and i don't even blame anyone you gotta it has to go through a lot of checks and balances to come out the other side but it feels a little wrong anyway and it's certainly restrictive um if you if you would really like to write some queer relationships it's pretty hard to do it i mean i've created a few queer characters successfully over there but you know um you know i've written some of the some of the highest profile characters that people would really really like to be gay and it's very hard to sometimes agree with them and know that it's you know you just can't you just can't get it done it's so hard and so, yeah, I mean, there's gay people in the call and there's gay people in Black Cloak and they all kiss whenever they want. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, it's just hard. It's it's hard. It's hard to. Because I'm so grateful for the work I've been able to do. And I don't even it's not even really a complaint. I don't begrudge them 
all the people I deal with are just trying to make the best work they can. And they've got, you know, a million bosses and regulators and whatever above them. And honestly, those people have people above them that are, so I don't know where the buck stops, but it's nowhere in the area that I'm seeing. And I can't even be angry at those people for that. But as a reader, as a consumer, as a person interested in queer things, I, it's just, it's just hard to, um, know how hard that is to get that stuff through. So that was one of the great things about getting to do create our own books was, you know, just why well, I would do whatever I want when it comes to that. And that's been nice. It's been a good feeling. Uh, certainly, certainly glad for that. Um, you know, overall, cause again, this is a book that, that came out of Substack, you know, uh, and, and you do have another on the way, which we'll, we'll, we'll hit on, but uh, what has been a, a major benefit of working through Substack for the past year and change? Well, I mean, I, you know, I can't go into the details about the contract I signed, sure, but sure. I mean, for me, it was like, and as for what I know for other people, it was just an incredible offer, probably the best offer I'll ever get in my life. I mean, they gave me a grant of money, wanted no control of my IP or anything I and artists came and created. They wanted no cut of money. Uh, I mean, yeah, they wanted a cut of the Substack, but any fool could look at what I was doing and what money they were offering me and know that they weren't going to make their money back in the first year unless something miraculous happened. And they're not fools either. They knew that. Like, I don't know who, how tech world works and all the, you know, they get the money and they have to build the thing and grow the business and scale it and do all that. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's what they did is incredible. Like there are going to be so many comics both on the Substacks and in print over the next couple years that are really brilliant books that are a hundred percent funded by Substack. I mean, Black Cloak, The Call for me, mm -hmm. like the fact that I'm able to get those out there. I mean, I've spent years working in work for hire and I still want to do work for hire, but I just have not been able to find the time or money to carve out that space. Mm -hmm. And so what they did for me was miraculous. Um, none of this would exist without that deal. Um, it came with, uh, you know, some strings about producing content. And that was hard. That was hard to integrate into my schedule. But honestly, the hardest thing over the last year was just, and I knew this was going to happen, but, you know, knowing it and dealing with it is different. Having run Kickstarters before, you know, when you shift into that mode where you're the manager and you're handling the money, you're no longer the writer. You're the writer and the part-time editor and the publisher and, or the publicity person and PR and you know you're doing everything and mm -hmm. I, there's there are there are things about that that are really wonderful but I want to be a writer <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to do all that other stuff maybe I'd like to be famous enough to pay other people to do that stuff for me that'd be cool but um yeah I don't want to I, I don't know many writers who are like yes I definitely also want to do this with 50 percent of my day like it's hard enough to get the writing done, man. Like we're, we're already struggling. Please don't add tasks to the plate. Like it's just a, it's just a recipe for scripts coming in late, to be honest. Um, so, you know, I, that do thinking I could do two comics at the same time when I'd never done it before like this and still maintaining 
at least most of my Marvel work and that subset contract. That was a lot. It was a lot. And I, I'd probably do it a little differently next time with hindsight, but I'd still do the two books. Like I'm loving how they're turning out and I'm super excited about them. So it's hard to regret. And, and let's make sure we talk about that second book. So you've still got another Substack comic coming down the pike, uh, the call yes. with uh, Mattia Deulis. Uh, mm-hmm. Do we have, you know, is there like a timetable for when, when we might start seeing uh so arts yeah so arts taking longer than we thought which we saw was happening in the summer we were like okay we thought it was taking x amount per issue but it's taking this amount per issue so we're waiting i mean we're already approved with image i would suspect you're going to start seeing it on the Substack in the early spring and i would suspect with image maybe summer um I would love it if the first issue is coming out in June, but that might be a little too soon. I mean, obviously image has their own ideas about their schedule and mm-hmm. scheduling. So I, we, we're all set up with them. Uh, they really love it, but I wanted to wait until we had X amount like fully locked before they put us on the schedule, especially just because, you know, with Meredith, we're, you know, we're working on five right now. So we've got lots of, room but honestly it doesn't feel like that much room like when you're the guy who has to be getting the files ready and everything Mm -hmm. you want you want more room (laughs) i don't want to have to be emailing designers or letterers in like the middle of the night and they're living in another part of the country Mm -hmm. because we don't have the right file so more time good good (laughs) it's my biggest lesson i've learned (laughs) more time good (laughs) now uh you know on on top of all this you know you do have still have some work you know some work for hire stuff going on you've been writing captain marvel for 45 issues and counting that is a long ass run it's Uh, really long how long it's almost it's almost uh a record uh i think i think brian reed did like 52 or 53 or something when it was on ms marvel okay yeah Um, Mm -hmm. it's definitely the longest captain marvel run for carol i don't know Mm -hmm. about for for Marvel, I don't know what those numbers were. They were pretty long, weren't they? They were, but I don't think any one creator was on mm. for that long. I mean, Starlin's yeah. run in the middle there is bare, maybe twenty issues. Yeah, yeah. If that, and I think it, it framed around it. There, there's really not long runs on Marvel. Oh, you know what? No, Peter David. Peter yeah, David's he... run on Genesis was two thirty something, tw- a twenty five and a thirty six, I think. Oh yeah, that's pretty big. That's pretty big. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's sort of historic, historic with an asterisk. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's up there. Is the yeah. point? Yeah. Uh, you know, long how, how long did you think you were you were going to be on the book when it started? Well, I thought um, when the first, when we were getting our numbers back for issue five, I thought we were going to do 10 issues. I thought we were going to be canceled at 10. Mm. Um, But they were holding out. They were pushing forward. They were really supporting the book, even though the numbers were looking grim. Like our our issue one numbers were great, but by five, they were just rough. Mm. And then we had fill-in artists for two issues for a tie-in to War of the Realms, which you know, I don't know. They tell you all the time that that's a good thing for your book. I I haven't seen it one time. I've only seen 
I haven't ever seen it boost the numbers and mostly you see complaints from fans. Sometimes they like that. It feels like it's tied in, but sometimes they're mad. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. It's not a hive mind, you know? Um, Mm. But so, and then we had star debuting sort of with issue eight and Mm -hmm. something about that, the covers, the story, something really fired people up and then a lot of collectors got involved and so yeah it started to get some heat on it and we sort of looked really smart on accident because star actually gets introduced in issue one of captain marvel and so we actually looked like we were doing some cool setting up like b story stuff like they used to get to do when runs were longer sure and it was simply because they had flipped the uh they had flipped the arcs we were gonna start with that arc that started with eight but they decided to put this apocalyptic arc in there first they thought that was a more exciting way to start so because of that we ended up looking smarter than we were and uh which is always good and yeah people were just really excited and then we had Lee Jarbet coming on with like a really exciting beautiful art for um uh, a, a really exciting arc called the last avenger that we were doing that started with 12 and that one got people really talking too so from eight through last avenger we just really built like a huge like a great great reading list and i feel like that was when we were sort of at our peak was probably like eight to 12 but we built up enough of a regular readership that we've been able to keep it going and marvel's been really committed to it and our numbers aren't as good as i'd like them to be but honestly can i tell you guys maybe they wouldn't have let me do some of the weird stuff we've been doing if the numbers have been you know if we were selling like 50 in the 50 to 100 range a month i don't know Mm -hmm. if they let me do the weird european style art arc where she's trapped in a magical prison and like we're using those alternating art styles and we're splitting the stories like i don't know maybe they do but but i think that arc is really weird and it's really weird that they let us do it and i love that and i think it stands out as a very different story for carol that has a lot of meaning and so Yeah, I mean, you know, I wish there, you know, it's hard not to wish that at some point we hadn't been such a runaway success like Al's Immortal Hulk was, where they're like, okay, this is a bona fide hit and we got huge numbers. And so, yeah, we can just clear the runway. You're going to go to 50. And so he's able to really just map that out however he wants. And Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time regretting that we never had that so that I can imagine like, oh, the things I would have done. But I would have lost a lot of stuff too. Like I'm sure that super weird magical arc doesn't end up getting to happen if I've got tons of roadway to plan, you know, Mm. Um, because we have to reinvent the wheel every five or six issues, like depending on what it is. And Mm. um, I don't, I don't love that because I think we see that a lot in comics these days, but I can admit that it also makes you pivot, makes you, stay alive you know like you're always fighting as opposed to sort of relaxing you know now uh is there talking about planning is is there a frustratingly vague answer that you have locked and loaded when people (laughs) ask you hey what's gonna happen in issue 50 uh i think we're gonna throw a party question mark i mean if you remember (laughs) issue 50 for me is still like I mean, we are working on it now, 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's like June. So I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to land 49, honestly. Um, but yeah, it'll be an oversized issue. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a party. Like, um, I haven't gotten to do enough of those in my life. Um, and I love an issue like that. Like all takes mm-hmm. place in one location, you know, lots of guest stars. It would be really fun. So I have my eye on who I want to draw it, but I don't know if it's going to work out. Got my fingers crossed though. We'll see. When you're dealing with such an established character, there's so many supporting characters that have come through years and years of accumulated history. What went into, for you, the decision to add more characters with uh, L'Oreal, Carol's sister, and the new binary at this point? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we did a really good job of reestablishing connections on Earth with some of her core people, Rhodey, Tony, Jess. um, And then we added Hazmat because I wanted to, because I love her. And I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be a different, slightly different dynamic that Carol hasn't had a lot of. I mean, she has it with Kamala, but Kamala's off doing her own thing. She doesn't really belong in our book as a guest star. So Hazmat seemed like a great person to put in there. Um, L'Oreal mostly came about because once the origin was changed, you know, I know some people would like to fight it or whatever or have a problem with it or hope it gets reversed but it was very clear that it was not getting reversed like it was done with thoughtfulness and it wasn't going anywhere and so at that point you're like well let's just lean into it like let's just make more great things out of it and some of the things that this could be are you know an incredible family relation for carol and but more more to the point what really drove it was we had this empire arc that I had to tie to and I didn't want to because we'd been doing really well and War of the Realms hadn't done anything for us for as from a sales perspective. Um, and so I was very hesitant, but I basically didn't have a choice um, because Al and Dan had done a great job. I mean, Carol should definitely, I mean, she has to be front and center in a story like that. Like she's a space character. She's half Cree like you know there's no excuse to not have her on the board and so mm-hmm. they put her right where she was supposed to be but the Captain Marvel book then can't come along and ignore that like that what is that like it's just weird so we knew we had to do a story and that seemed like a really great place for family dynamics like upsetting Carol's life I also love uh really buff women like especially arms and shoulders I think they're so fun and uh i played with it a little bit in a star wars annual i wrote with a character i created for the star wars universe uh named pash and i just i thought if Corey can draw this girl this is going to be really fun and he knocked it out of the park great design and i just love her i think she's so great i think this incredible warrior who really is sort of like ferdinand the bull and she'd really rather just be like smelling some flowers in a field but yeah she could she could absolutely decimate a planet if she sets her mind to it so um and then binary (laughs) a lot of binary is uh that's a really incredible code name and design and it's just sitting there and nobody is ever going to use it again 
because Carol Danvers is not going back to not being Captain Marvel. I mean, I'm not saying they won't make a story someday where that's a thing, but you know, it's a billion dollar character at this point. You know, most of the people of the world know Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. That's not something that anyone's going to change willy nilly. And I thought, but binary is an incredible code name. And let me tell you, as someone who has to come up with code names, it's really hard to do in this day, find something that's great that hasn't been used. And it's an incredible design. And we just thought, why shouldn't we play with this? Especially when we've sort of already established some of these characters who are obsessed with Carol and are always trying to get her power or duplicate her power from, from going all the way back to Claremont with the brood to, you know, our Vox, uh, Vox, uh, <clears throat> Vox Supreme trying to come at Carol. So yeah, it just made sense that there should be something that seemed like Carol bouncing around the universe. And uh, it's been really fun to play with. It's particularly paying off well in this new arc we're doing with the brood and X-Men in space. Um, I hope it'll really work. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, this dovetails nicely because, you know, you're in the middle of a brood arc now. You've got Carol teaming up with a squad of X-Men. Uh, what kind of bribes did you have to offer the X office to let you borrow their characters? Or do you just get to flash the badge and remind them, uh, excuse me, I'm the one who made Gambit and Rogue healthy in the first place. <laughs> I wish that last thing worked. Uh, no, they were very nice about it. It just took several years. Um, I've been wanting to do the brood story basically since I got the book. I mean, I don't think it would have made sense for it to be a first arc or anything, but I've, they've been on my list to use and certainly using X-Men as guest stars has been on my list as well. And I mostly, the, but the brood were off limits because of the changes with brew with him controlling mm -hmm. the brood, they were no longer an enemy. So they're done. So I couldn't use them for a long time and still until some things started changing. And then it was like, okay, maybe let's talk about it. And so what's your story, you know, whatever. And same thing with the X-Men. I mean, I think because of Krakoa, you know, their, their, their place in the world has been changed but Carol has always been a really close ally of theirs, you know, going way back to the Claremont stuff. So it made sense, you know, especially as things were softening and as we were all sort of getting used to them, you know, in that treehouse and what they were doing, it made sense to me that Carol and the X-Men would team up and everyone agreed. So it was really nice. I mean, there was definitely negotiating on, you know, which characters you can use, but that's never about, well, that's almost never about you know someone being petty or wanting to hold a character back it's just like mm -hmm. you can't use wolverine he's dead or you know whatever whatever the thing is right mm -hmm. um magneto's dead or whatever you know you, you, or somebody's in limbo and they won't be back till may so you know keep it out of your book or whatever so there's always a little bit of that but honestly i was really happy with the cast i got which was very close to what i had dreamed of so it's uh it's good for me <laughs> and i sort of love that gambit's the only guy in there i've heard i've seen some people making fun of it or like laughing about it and i'm like you mean like every avengers book that i read for a really long time <laughs> where it's just one token girl how about every episode of gi joe i watched that had one token girl in the cast like let's have fun with it and also 
read one Claremont X-Men comic from the 80s. The <laughs> right, women right. dominated the men by the end of the decade. Also, I feel like Gambit, and I mean this as a compliment, although I'm sure some might, I feel like he's got very good energy with women, like friends. Storm, Laura, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. Polaris. Like, he's just, he's a good friend. Jubilee, he's a, he's good. He gets women. He's into it. Well, you know, it's it's funny you mention Gambit and Polaris because there's there's a moment in issue 44 where i'm like did kelly remember that polaris had a gambit stripper at her bachelorette party during the during the austin run because pepperidge farm remembers i remember that i also remember there was like weird flirting with them in that x factor um when it changed to oh be the... right all new x factor yeah, yeah 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 so i remember that um but i was a little <laughs> I was a little upset when that panel came back. I mean, Sergio's incredible. He did a great job, but I just felt like the expressions from both Quanon and Polaris weren't quite what I was going for, which sometimes could just be a translation issue too. Like, you know, it's hard. Those are really complex emotions you're asking for sometimes in a couple mm-hmm. lines. But I was a little worried that people were going to glom onto it as more than it was intended so i'm sort of glad you're asking me about it i mean because it's not meant to it's not meant to be a huge thing that like suggests uh it's just supposed to be fun i like to have fun i like characters to bounce off each other the way you do when you're with friends who you know really well who you know a million stories about like they should talk like this right so um i also just think i sort of wanted to call out how i mean rogue and gambit get a lot of you know i don't know we all feel a certain way about rogue and gambit they're sort of ridiculous and wonderful but they're also like i don't know they're just i just think rogue's really lucky like who who among the x-men has what rogue has this 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 incredible person who's like wholly devoted to her it's incredibly rare it's incredibly rare and so i just thought if you were an ex lady you would note it you would be like wow it must be nice that she's married to that guy and he loves her and they just get through it together you know like i don't have that and almost none of them do they uh the, you know the relationships are really on the on the not really happening the way i hoped they would <laughs> now that everyone's in krakoa and happy why aren't there more hookups <laughs> but and, but that's that's the thing though you get to 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 polyamory ireland and you've got you know cyclops <laughs> yeah. and gene and, and wolverine and yeah. emma and their sort of thing and then you have Probably. rogue and gambit uh and and they're they're notable for sort of being like the monogamous couple at this point yeah i mean i I think there were people who were like, are they the boring couple now? And I was like, no, they're too hot to ever be boring. Why do people want to make people be boring? But yeah, they are more stable. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going on with Gene and Scott. They feel fine, but Emma and Scott also feel fine, which tells me, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and Gene and Logan also hey. feel fine. And I yes, think Scott yes. and Logan also There's feel fine. wrong so. with any of that. <laughs> no, no, fine. no. It's all no fine. It's this all, is all consensual and yes <laughs> it's all fine i just i just i feel like there was i guess i felt like when that started i thought maybe we were going to get more of that type of stuff whether mm-hmm. it's polyamory or not i just thought like 
you know love or hate the claremont era you can't deny there's a lot of really fun soap opera stuff in there and i do feel like modern comics in part just because it's they're not written the same way like they're not as loaded down with dialogue and stuff so you know you get a lot less of that and because the problem we've already talked about like you get a lot less b story b plot stuff being set up for later and a lot of times that's where your sort of character relationships and your interpersonal drama stuff really gets to thrive is in that b plot stuff and it's very hard to do these days so um yeah i want to see these guys joking around and like making references to stuff we've seen and even stuff we haven't seen that we don't even know exists like it's so much fun like why wouldn't we play with it so yeah Yeah. i don't know i don't want people to take it too seriously i'm not saying lorna has a thing for gambit or or quanon and i saw someone going oh i guess it's not working out with john proudstar because quanon looks sad and i was like that's too much we're reading too much into it guys (laughs) come on she's just she's just relating to it must be nice for rogue to have this constant relationship in her life that's so rewarding even if it's complicated you know anyway even when her mom hates him so much both of her moms i guess oh i love how much well i was thinking specifically about destiny i love how much destiny hates i'm a little i gotta be honest i'm a little disappointed i mean i think people are doing great jobs on those stories but uh, yeah i would have had i would have had irene be the voice of wisdom there because i don't believe gambit is bad for her at all i do not believe that i do not subscribe to the idea that gambit is bad for rogue and i so it's hard for me to disagree with the the mom who has prophetic vision like it seems like you got to listen to that bitch but i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) irene has proven that she has blind spots true that's very true feel like rogue is one of her biggest blind spots i'm a big destiny person yeah so i i mean listen i i i was quivering with excitement when i could see that we were gonna head on deal with mystique and destiny Mm -hmm. as characters as bringing destiny back as what that relationship was about I mean, that sh- that shot, I have that panel somewhere. I think I just posted it for Twitter. People were like, your favorite X moments. And one of mine was just that panel of Mystique yelling, I want my wife back. Oh, yeah. Like, so good. So good. Thrilling. Finally making it canon that Mystique with Sherlock Holmes just tickles <laughs> me. I've been saying that for what, Dan? 15 years? It's been a thing, yes. <laughs> Mystique is such an incredible character. Uh we were doing we were doing um fun x-men war games with my old x-men 92 jim lee card set on my sub stack where i would random or so i would just play like basic war with them you know where you put cards down and whoever's got the higher number takes the cards Ah. it's a game i used to play with my brother when we were little it's very hard to play because you have to agree on what power sets are which people never do but so we made a fun game of it on the Substack where people were polling. I would just deal out the matches and then people would vote and we got some really fun dialogues going talking about it. But um, I feel like people rate Mystique pretty well, but I still feel like she's underrated. I feel like she, that mind plus her experience, plus, plus how long lived she is and how masterful she is with her powers. I feel like it's really hard to beat her. Like she's always thinking. And before you even know it, there's like a knife in your back. Like, well, you don't know great character love it 
Lots of strategery there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, one thing I wanted to check in on real quick. So there's a panel in Marvel's uh, Timeless One-Shot. It's Kang-centric tease of, of the year ahead that it's done, doing for the second year in a row of Carol all brooded out. Now, obviously, you're in the middle of a brood arc. So, you know, this isn't that much of a spoiler. And also anything in Timeless that doesn't come to pass can just be considered, you know, alternate future shenanigans or, you know, a different Kang or whatever. But, you know, does anyone come to you at some point like, hey, we want to throw in a para panel of Carol in, you know, this thing, you know, anything we can use? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> that did not happen. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about that. Okay. I guess I'll have to go look at that. <laughs> uh, whoops. Surprise. <laughs> and hopefully I will not be angry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. There's also like, you know, you have to slowly start disentangling yourself from a character, you know, mm -hmm. if you know you're probably, mm -hmm. your departure is probably imminent, you know, you got to start four years, it's it's long, so I, I got to start detaching, but that's very hard for me, so it's, mm. it's, it's good, it was, it was hard, you know, Rogue and Gambit was really hard, like sure. letting them go, after Mr. and Mrs. X, Jeff is the hardest one, of course, like, you know, because you just, you're just in control of it for X amount of time, and then you're not going to be in control of it. And that's hard for me. Sure. Um, I think, you know, when you go to the writer's rooms with Marvel, I learned so much from them. And one of the big things I learned was how important it is to work on being more, um, I don't know what the best word for it more collaborative maybe I mean I always felt like I was collaborative because I feel like with my teams I'm really collaborative but more within the writer's room like just as an example Al Ewing is one of the most generous collaborative guys like you know you'd be someone would be pitching a thing and they'd bring up some character that like he was heavily involved in that he was doing a thing with and mm -hmm. after they were done he'd be like there might be an issue you know where I don't know, Novar or whatever, because I'm doing this thing with Novar over here. And then he's like looking at his notes and like, it's like you could watch his brain transform because he'd be like, you know what? If we move this thing over here, I actually think your story can make this story better if we just do. And honestly, he did it almost every time. It was miraculous. I, I was really stunned by it, like by the way his mind works and by how generous he was. He always wants to support other people and lift them up. He never wants to get in their way. I'm way too petty for that. So uh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I think Al is an amazing creator who really... He knows how to make everything better around him. And I think that's an incredible skill, uh, one that I am working on. All right. So as we're winding down here, I want to get Matt is due for a win on the official pet corner stat tracker here. So, uh, Kelly, please tell us about your cats. OK, uh, <laughs> I have the monarch who got in trouble during this podcast, but who's <laughs> curled up very adorably now. He's uh, he's a little he's about to be six seven in march and his brother is clive warren uh who is much more difficult in every way uh except for he's much quieter uh monarch sometimes likes to talk to the bathtub he likes to do a thing where he <laughs> cries until you call his name and then he runs in like he's a star on a stage and he like does a little prance very performative uh i love it 
uh clive is like more one of those cats where you go in to give him a little pet if he's already comfortable and he complains with like a like don't touch me what are you doing so very different cats they're amazing they're the best cats ever that's excellent uh penultimate question what are you reading right now so i'm reading i actually am finishing a patricia lockwood book called um nobody is no one else is talking about this nobody is talking about this um it's very good it's very weird i love it um teeny howard recommended it to me Hmm. uh i'm also reading i just started a new octavia butler book uh actually i can't remember the name of it. it's the one that comes after dawn uh in the lilis brood i i izago it's got an x in it or something i can't say it anyway uh i'm very excited i just started it uh, yesterday actually um comics i'm always on perpetual catch-up i've got a ton of marvel comics i'm behind on but i have been catching up on nice house in the lake and i just read human target nine yesterday love that series why is that book so good greg smallwood that's why greg smallwood (laughs) yeah i mean i sort of i was gonna say let's kill them because it's too good let's just (laughs) kill tom and I'll replace him so that I can work with Greg Smallwood on the mid-century modern masterpiece of my dreams, Human Target. But I don't think the book would be as good. So let's not do it. Let's not do the plan. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i also have really been loving uh, Tom Taylor's Dark Knights of Steel. I don't know how that guy gets to do all the cool alternate reality stuff that I want to do. <laughs> In that, in the the thing that happened with, uh, I won't spoil it, but with Hippolyta in that last issue, I gasped, I gasped out loud. I won't spoil it. Uh, and I was like, God damn it. Tom, Ka- Tom Taylor does it again. Why does he get to do all the cool all reality stuff, man? Where you can just do anything. I love it. I mean, I, I, I can't pretend uh, I would do it as well. He's very good at it. He always puts characters in like, just like I get, I get thrilled. Like I just, I'm really thrilled to see him all over again, have Black Canary and Green Arrow meet in a dungeon. You know, I just, I love it. I love it. I can't get, I can't get, it never gets old for me. The only thing that's old is Tom Taylor getting to do it instead of me. Why are the Toms taking all my jobs that I want? Um, so yeah, so that's a lot of what I've been reading, um, but mostly I'm really behind on everything. I read a bunch of really great graphic novels, Kate Beaton's Ducks, mm. uh, Zoe Thorogood's uh, Lonely Cold at the, the center. center of the Lonely, Universe. Lonely at the Center of yes, the World. That's it. Um, also, Jordan Crane's Keeping Two. I don't recommend that for everyone, but very beautiful, very good. Um, one I didn't talk about. Uh, on my subsec is Rutu uh, Modan's Tunnels, which I really liked. I don't think it's as good as her Exit Wounds or The Property, but still a very worthy, beautiful uh, graphic novel. If anyone here hasn't read Exit Wounds, I just, it's it's really beautiful. It's weird. It's not your typical comics, but it's it's amazing stuff. She's a very powerful writer and illustrator. So yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. Uh Kelly, this has been a fantastic time. Final question before we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with 
Black Cloak, your Substack, and everything else that you have going on? Sure, sure. I am on Hive. Well, that's yeah. new to say. Um, I know they're sort of figuring it out over there. I'm Kelly Thompson over there. I'm Kelly Thompson anywhere that I'm not some combination of 1979 semifinalist. Um, so you can find me on Hive at Kelly Thompson. The best place really to find me these days is the Substack because that you can subscribe to that for free. Just get a newsletter to make sure you're staying in touch with what I'm doing and what you're doing. Uh, that is 1979semifinalist.substack.com. Well, that's it. Excellent. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I had a great time. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and Comics XF at Comics XF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, if Spider-Man can teach the Beyonder to poop, you can pretty much do anything you set your mind to. I believe in you. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.